Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. So when your kid's behavior is baffling and yours is too, sometimes, yeah, I know. Let's take a break from all the bamboozle here on the baffling behavior show. Hello, 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 y'all. Welcome to the Baffling Behavior Show or the podcast formerly known as Parenting After Trauma. I'm your host, Robin Goebel. I'm a former therapist who's become an author, an educator. I create communities. I train other professionals. And of course, I'm a podcaster. Today in this episode, we're going to just take a little pause and go back to the basics of what behavior really is. I know, I know, I know. I really, really love talking about the science. But I talk about the science so much because I know the science well enough to know that we got to keep talking about it, especially if we want it to be useful when we're dysregulated. And most of y'all tuning into this show want this information to be useful when you're dysregulated because it's when you're dysregulated that you need it the most, right? I mean, I know when I'm not dysregulated, I'm a pretty good parent. It's when I'm dysregulated that things go off the rails a little bit. So we keep talking about the science and we keep passing through this information and we keep looking at and reminding ourselves about what behavior really is because it will be more useful to us in the times when we really need it the most. If you're new here to the podcast, this is a podcast for parents of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. I know that many, maybe most of the parents who listen have kids with a history of trauma, particularly like complex trauma, developmental trauma, attachment trauma. But I also know that over the last couple of years, more and more parents of kids with vulnerable nervous systems for other reasons, and sometimes it's for no known reason at all, I know that y'all are tuning in more. I have been so lucky in my career to have had opportunities to study intensely with some of who I'd consider the leaders in the field of relational neuroscience. Relational neuroscience is simply the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human. And that's the science that I now feel so strongly about teaching you. But also, I only want to teach you the parts that you really need. 
So this episode is also going to give you a little sneak peek at my new book, Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, Brain Body Sensory Strategies That Really Work. And finally, 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 the book is coming out soon, September 21st, 2023. This has been a long time coming. There was a big delay in the book. It was originally going to be published in April. And so y'all, I am so ready for September 21 to get us all ready for it together. Me, you, everyone listening. I'm going to take us through the three core important pieces of the book, which are the three core important pieces of absolutely everything that I do. So if you're in the club, you know that it's these three core pieces. If you're in being with, you know that it's three these three core pieces. They're in everything. So of course, they're obviously in the book as well. Now, those three core pieces are number one, understanding the neuroscience of behavior. Number two, having a toolbox full of tools and tools that are actually useful helpful. And number three is feeling safe enough to connect with and explore our own experience. Because obviously, being in relationship with somebody who's pretty dysregulated is dysregulating us. So we need the opportunity to feel safe enough to have compassion towards ourselves that we can look at how our own experiences are impacting the relationship that we're in. And I know most of you listening are listening through the lens of that relationship being a parent-child relationship, or maybe you're a professional listening and you're helping clients apply all of this information to their parenting relationships. So the three again is the neuroscience of behavior, tools that actually work, and knowing ourselves. And when these three pieces all come together, that's where all the magic starts to happen. The tools become tools that actually work because they emerge from a place of being instead of a place of doing, right? Like we get to get out of the endless game of behavior whack-a-mole and you all know exactly what I mean by that, right? Like you learn a tool and you apply it and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it works for a while and then it stops working and behavior whack-a-mole is exhausting, So I've always been really committed not to just like tossing more tools at you. I don't want to give you more spaghetti to throw at the wall, right? I want to help you grow your toolbox full of tools that actually work because they're actually addressing the real problem, felt safety, regulation, and connection. And not only are they addressing the real problem, but because we learn about the tools while also learning about the neuroscience of behavior and while also paying attention to ourselves, the tools emerge from a place of being instead of just a place of doing. 
One of my core values as somebody who was a therapist for 15 years is that I want the science. I want the information that I've had the privilege to study and study really intensely. I want that not to be hoarded by mental health professionals. I think that what I have learned about the neuroscience of behavior throughout my training as a therapist is information that humans need, like all humans need. And yep, I'm focused primarily on translating the science and giving the science to parents of kids um, with baffling behaviors, right? But I think we all need this information. I'm really, really committed to taking the science and offering it to non-mental health professionals in a way that like actually matters to you. The science has changed my life in like profound ways. And yes, it, it impacted my clinical work. It impacted my professional life in profound ways, including the fact that it allowed me to do the work, really, really hard work for a really, really long time because I actually really believe that understanding the science strengthened my energetic boundaries that I had with clients that allowed me then to work really intensely with really intense clients for so long. Understanding the neurobiology behavior directly contributed to my lack of burnout. So that's one way the science has, you know, really profoundly changed my professional life. But y'all, the science has changed my personal life. It has changed my relationship with myself. It's changed my relationship with my husband. It's changed my relationship with with everybody I'm in relationship with. It's absolutely impacted my parenting relationship. It's impacted my friendships. It's impacted the relationships with my parents. I mean, it's impacted everything in profound ways. And it just doesn't seem like this information should be hoarded by mental health professionals. Now, I totally get that not everybody needs to understand the science in order to kind of come to the conclusions that the science has brought me to, which is that people are good, that regulated, connected kids who feel safe do well, right? Like, for some folks, that is this very intuitive belief, and they don't need the science to feel safe believing that people are inherently good. I needed the science. I really needed the science to help me feel safe enough to risk the belief that people are inherently good. Kids are inherently good. People in the world are inherently good. I am inherently good. And the science gave me the safety to really open up to that. And that has impacted me profoundly. And I want to give that to you. Now, of course, the science is always changing. And I do my best to keep up with the changing science. It's kind of hard because the um, you know new emerging science isn't always super accessible to folks outside of academia. But I do my best to keep up with the emerging science. And of course, there's lots and lots of people who refute the science that I'm grounded in, the science of relational neuroscience and interpersonal neurobiology and polyvagal theory. Of course, people refute that science.
I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and that I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingoblecom slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. But for now, in 2023, as I'm recording this episode and publishing this book, this is the science that I'm grounded in because ultimately it's the science that invites me to be with myself and to be with you and your kids and all of the people in my life with more compassion. And anything that invites us to be with one another with more compassion and more curiosity, for me, is good. In fact, I was just recently talking with my dear friend, Marshall Lyles. Some of you know Marshall uh, about this specifically, about the science and really being with the science with a lot of humility, a lot of curiosity, a lot of openness that our understanding of the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human could change at any moment. It could change drastically tomorrow. And if it changes, you know, we'll change and we'll adapt. And at the same time, I feel so confident that I will feel nothing but pleased that the work that I put out into the world invites us to all be with one another with more compassion. And I can't imagine anything ever proving that as wrong or that as being kind of the wrong step. Okay, so back to what we came together for today, which was to talk about what behavior really is. I think sometimes it can be helpful to look at what behavior isn't. What we know from relational neuroscience is that, first of all, behavior is not totally in our own control. And we tend to think we have a lot of control over our own behavior. And also we tend to think we have a lot of control over somebody else's behavior. But actually we have very, very little conscious control over behavior. We also know that behavior is not information about our child's character or about who they're gonna grow up to be. And we also know for sure that our child's behavior is almost never, ever, ever about you. Meaning that you, the parent, or you, the professional, or anyone except whose behavior it is that we're really talking about, the behavior is not about you. The behavior is about the person who's having 
the behavior because behavior is an externalization of inner experience. It's simply what we can see on the outside that gives us some information about what's happening on the inside. It's a cue or a clue. It's beginning to tell us a story about the autonomic nervous system, about memory networks. This is some of my favorite stuff to talk about. So as I was thinking about this idea of behavior telling the story of the autonomic nervous system, I had this image of myself at the public library when I was a kid. As you can imagine, I really loved going to the library when I was a kid. I would ride my bike there. And how much I loved Choose Your Own Adventure books. I think it's because I felt like I got a little bit more bang for my buck, right? Like this one book could last a little bit longer because I could choose multiple different adventures. And if I love anything, I love really long books. Okay. But anyway, if behavior is telling the story of the autonomic nervous system, I was thinking about how the autonomic nervous system is a little bit like a choose your own adventure book. And that adventure is is based on everything that's happening in the here and now and everything that's happened in the past, as well as like our best prediction about what's going to happen in the future. Right? So like, If it's safe, if we choose a safe adventure, we go to page 89. And that's a page of connection where the social engagement system emerges. The owl brain is in charge. But if it's not safe and it's dangerous, then that's a different story. That's a story of danger. So we're going to go to, I don't know, page 56, right? That's a page of protection. Protective behaviors emerge on page 56. And the watchdog brain is in charge. And then if the story is not safe and life-threatening, we're going to go to page 107, That's a page of protection where life-saving behaviors emerge and the possum brain is in charge. Very, very, very little behavior is in our conscious control. We'd like to think it is, but it's not. It is a little like a choose-your-own-adventure based on if the story is safe or if it's dangerous, or if it's life-threatening. We're going to go to a different path of that story. Like we're going to go to a different path of our autonomic nervous system. And on those different paths, different behaviors emerge. Either behaviors of connection emerge, or behaviors of protection emerge where we believe we're in danger and that watchdog brain comes out or behaviors of protection where we believe there's a life threat emerge. And that's when we fall onto the possum pathway. And then behaviors emerge from the pathway that we find ourselves on. We'd like to think a lot of behavior is in our conscious control. It's just really not. And 
absolutely we can take steps to make more behavior more in our conscious control. 100% we can do it, but actually it's easier and more effective if we change the path that we're on. A path of safety, a path of danger, or a path of life threat. Having the capacity to change behavior with thoughtfulness and with our conscious control actually requires a very, very strong owl brain. It requires a lot of connection to ourselves. It requires a lot of felt safety, and it requires a lot of regulation, which reminds me, I kind of got a little bit ahead of myself. We're talking about what behavior really is. And I said that I feel really strongly about not hoarding that science. I want more professionals to know how to use the science to help families and to teach families the science because that's good for kids and families. Understanding the science of behavior and having the ability to self-reflect on our own behaviors and know that those behaviors don't just come from this place that's totally out of control or don't just come from, you know, whether we're a good or bad person, but they actually come from, they emerge from which autonomic nervous system pathway we're on, that is a crucial part of beginning to change the path that we're on. So in the book, Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, in the book, you're going to be introduced to Nat. And Nat is a parent who comes to see me for help with her kid, Sammy. And like so, so, so many of you, Nat has been to a lot of helpers before she comes to me and she's exhausted and feeling hopeless. Yet I also know she isn't completely hopeless because she's come to me. And every time a parent reaches out for help, what they're showing me is that they haven't totally lost hope. So in the story, I teach Nat about the neurobiology of behavior. And because you, as the reader, are eavesdropping on our sessions, you get to learn all about it as well. And you don't get to just learn about the neuroscience of behavior, but you get to learn it in the way that I offer it to the clients who used to come to my office. With Nat, I start with the basics, the science of safety, just like I kind of did here with you on this podcast. We talked about connection or protection. And I help Nat understand that if we want to change her child's behavior, we're going to focus on changing her experience of safety in the world. We're going to focus on changing her pathway right? We want her to choose a different adventure, right? Now, Nat's child struggles with felt safety because of her experiences of early trauma and toxic stress. 
Other kids struggle with felt safety for a whole host of reasons. Maybe they're neurodivergent in a world that's built for neurotypical folks, or maybe they experience oppression or marginalization in some other way. Or maybe they have a neuroimmune disorder like Lyme or PANS or PANDAS. I mean, some people, some kids struggle with felt safety and we really have no idea why, but we can see very clearly because of their behaviors that they do. So that's where I start with that. I start with exploring the science of safety. And then we move into exploring the science of connection. Because just like it's hard for you to believe that your child really does want connection with you, it was kind of hard for Nat to believe that too. Her child has a lot of behaviors that seem to be saying loud and clear that the last thing they want is connection with almost anyone, but certainly their parent. So in the book, I spend some time with Nat helping her understand the science of connection and how connection really truly is a biological imperative that your kid wants and needs connection. And at the same time, it may also be true that your child is completely terrified of connection. So imagine needing something to survive that you also believe will kill you. It's why some of you, when you try to increase connection, that things get worse. It's why for some of you, your kid has bigger behaviors at home. Because sure, they're theoretically safer, but the intimacy of a family and all of that connection is also unsafe. It's why your kid will beg for your attention and then do something that pushes you away, literally or figuratively. All of those connection behaviors, its they're all just information. And they start to give us some idea about how we might need to maybe titrate connection. It, it helps us see the behavior for what it really is and that it's not personal. It's not about us. It's about this child's experience in connection. And understanding the science of connection, it really does, I think, help us make sense of, of some of the most baffling behaviors. Because my professional history is working with kids with complex trauma, what I have seen the most is how those biggest, most baffling behaviors are emerging from spaces in the nervous system where connection and protection have been tied together. And Nat's kid, she has really big baffling behaviors. So I help Nat see how connection and protection has gotten tied together. And we look at how we're going to start to kind of disentangle those two. Then I get to spend a lot of time with Nat kind of debunking some common misperceptions about regulation and co-regulation. So I spend some time with her talking about how regulation is developed and how for a lot of our kids and for her kid, this 
regulation is developmentally delayed. And if we really look super closely at a lot of the behaviors that her kid's having, we actually can see how so many of them are really just about delayed self-regulation. Those of you listening to this podcast, your child almost certainly has some impairments or delays in their regulatory circuits. That's why they have huge reactions to teeny tiny problems. Right? Their stress response system is just extremely sensitive. They have no frustration tolerance. They freak out when they're told no, or they transition between activities really poorly, or they can't take no for an answer, or they punch their siblings instead of just yelling at them like most kids do. These behaviors, these extremely baffling, extremely exhausting, and yeah, I know for some of you, like also really unsafe behaviors, they're about felt safety, connection, and regulation. So I go with Nat through the science of behavior and continually reinforce what behavior really is because our old beliefs about what behavior really is are really well ingrained, right? Like we've been taught since the moment we were born, almost all of us, you know, we've been taught explicitly, meaning somebody actually used these words and told us that our behavior was a direct, you know, like directly related to how good or bad we were as a person. Like sometimes some of us actually literally heard those exact words. And then some of us learned that more implicitly based on the behaviors of others around us that, you know, if I had a good behavior is because I was a good person. And if it's because I, if I have bad behavior, it's because I'm a bad person, which means we learned that behaviors are a reflection of who we are on the inside, which, which is just not true. Behaviors are a reflection of the state of our nervous system on the inside, not how good or bad of a person we are. And because we learned that so early and so frequently, right, that our behavior is an indication of how good or bad of a person we are, shifting those beliefs are really hard, and it's especially hard when we ourselves, when our nervous system is in protection mode or even just slightly dysregulated. The more dysregulated we get, the more our beliefs about behavior are going to revert back to what we learned when we were kids. So then we start to take behavior personally. We start to be leave that it's about our kid being good or bad. And if we have a bad kid, that really freaks us out. And then we start to believe that we can change behavior through punishment. And we start to believe those things when we're dysregulated, even if we don't believe those things when we're regulated, right? And that's why we keep going through the science of behavior. The more we go through it, the more we really ingrain those neural pathways about this new science of behavior, the more likely we are to be able to believe those things about behavior, even when we're dysregulated. I mean, living with dysregulated kids is really dysregulating. So we need a lot of opportunity to revisit the truth 
about what behavior really is. And we need that truth to make sense to your stressed out brain, which is why I work really hard to simplify it. And it also needs to be really relevant, meaning like it needs to feel like it's useful to you and applicable in your real life. And because I happen to know a lot about the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, I was able to take all that science and write this book in a very, very, very intentional way, in a way that it wouldn't just give you more information and fill your toolbox with more tools, which then has the risk of you playing even more behavior whack-a-mole. I wanted to see if I could write a book that would actually change you. And not because there's something wrong with you, of course. No, no, no. There's definitely not anything wrong with you. But I know you tune into this podcast to be because you feel bad a lot, right? Like you live with a dysregulated person and you don't know what to do. Or you help people who live with dysregulated people and then you yourself get dysregulated and you don't know what to do. So I set out to write a book that could actually change your neurobiology. And how does neurobiology change? Well, I obviously believe it changes in safety, connection, and with co-regulation. So I wondered, could I offer those things in a meaningful way like I did when I was in the therapy room? Could I offer those things in written words? Could I offer safety, connection, and co-regulation in a way that changes the brain? Could I offer those things in a book? so that millions of people could experience that safety connection and co-regulation for what? 20 bucks. And and actually, y'all, if you go pre-order my book through the publisher, which is on my website, you can get it at 20% off. So it's for just 16 bucks. I mean, I thought, to, I, I, I really was thinking like, that would be amazing. It would be so amazing if I could offer you something that wasn't just a bunch more tools, but I could offer it in a way that they could become tools that really work. So I cannot wait to hear from all of you if it does that. It's going to take a while for us to really know, but... The folks who read an advanced copy said things like the book was like being with me in my living room, drinking coffee and experiencing co-regulation. Bonnie Badenock, who y'all have heard me talk about a lot, probably if you've tuned into the show for many episodes, Bonnie Badenock is my primary mentor She's been everything in my journey and the field of relational neuroscience. And she wrote the foreword. And Bonnie wrote that the book is potentially transformative. And then she goes on to explain that it's potentially transformative because we have to slow down and pause and really experience what the book is offering in a way, in order for it to actually really work it's magic to allow the compassion that's infused in the book to really leave its imprint on you because we all know, right? Okay. We don't all know, but I know, and I try to teach everyone who will listen that compassion 
is the neurobiology of change. I knew that if the book was going to change you, it needed to be infused with compassion. You needed to feel my compassion. Bonnie writes that the book offers a landing place for parents because as we learn about our child's behaviors and what behavior really is, we learn about our own and that all behavior makes sense. Yours and mine and our children's. And in the book, we see that about Nat and Nat's kiddo. In her foreword, Bonnie writes that I offer acceptance and validation for every emotion that Nat brings, right? Nat brings in her anger and her grief and her joy and her successes. All of those get to come. All of those are welcome. And my hope is when you read it, you experience a piece of that. You experience a piece of all of you being welcomed because that's how the brain changes. I hope that when you read the book, you you feel like the way I talk to Nat is the way I would talk to you if you and I ever had the luxury of sitting together, that you'll feel adored and and you'll you'll feel adored in the way that I so clearly adore Nat. And you'll feel nurtured in the way that I nurture Nat. And of course, you'll get some very practical advice in the ways that I give Nat very practical advice. And when some of it doesn't work, as is inevitably true, you won't feel like a failure. You won't, you'll know that it's not your fault because that's what Nat learns, that it's not about her goodness or not goodness as a parent, and it's not her fault. Behavior isn't about how good or bad we are. It's not about how good or bad we are as a parent. Behavior is a cue or a clue that lets us get super curious about the story of the autonomic nervous system. And when we get curious about that story, we get the opportunity to potentially choose a new adventure or invite our child onto a different path. Regulated, connected kids who feel safe do well and regulated, connected parents who feel safe parent the way they want to in alignment with their values. So that's what behavior really is. Behavior is a reflection of our regulation, of our connection, of our felt safety. And we keep passing through that information. We keep passing through that theory. Well, number one, we pass through that theory in a relational way which is what's happening right now. You're experiencing learning this information in a very relational way, right? So that's important that we learn it in a relational way. And it's also important that we keep passing through it regularly, that we keep going over and over and over again, that we keep exercising that neural pathway because the stronger that neural pathway is, the more likely we'll be able to stay on that pathway 
while our child is dysregulated and working really hard to yank us onto their pathway. So there's these three core aspects to the way that I work, right? The neuroscience, the tools, and exploring ourselves. So today we explore the neuroscience. The section one of my book explores the neuroscience. Next week, let's talk about the tools. That's what section two does in my book. It is the biggest section. You absolutely get a toolbox full of tools, And what I hope is that because of the way I offer these tools, they get to become tools that actually work because they will emerge from your being instead of your doing. So tune in next week while we explore the tools that help behavior change. And then the week after that, we'll look at ourselves and how paying attention to ourselves and the state of our own nervous system is so important for helping our child. Y'all, bringing this book into the world has been an adventure. Holy moly, in a way that ah, I could never have guessed or imagined. And in some ways, harder, but in some ways, more wonderful. It has brought more connection to my life. It has brought more relational experiences to my life. And it is my deepest hope that it offers all of that back to you. And, And you know, as I say this, it's like, I know that will happen because I'm only capable of, you know, talking on this podcast and and caring for the members of the club and writing a book like this because of you, right? Because of all the families that I've had such deep, deep, deep relationships with over the years. And even you listening, who I may never have a relationship with beyond just like this in your earbuds. It's still a relationship. You still really matter to me. You really, really impact me. And the way that I show up in my work. So thank you for that. Thank you for making this podcast what it is. Thank you for making that book what it is. Okay, now I've talked about the book a lot. You can still pre-order the book. The book comes out September 21st. So if you're hearing this before September 21st, if you order the book, it's a pre-order. You can go to robingobel.com slash book and choose different pre-order bonuses. Like you can choose to pre-order it in a way that'll get you a signed copy. Or you could choose to pre-order it in a way that'll get you 20% off. So there's different pre-order bonuses. If you are considering ordering the book, it would be awesome if you would pre-order it as opposed to waiting until it comes out on September 21st. And let me tell you why. Pre-ordering the book, apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently a lot of this is just like a big game, which I do not love that. I do not love playing games, but it's a big game. And so I've tried to learn the rules of this game. And apparently one of the rules of this game is the more pre-orders a book has, the more people it will reach in kind of like the lifetime of its book. It has to do with 
marketing and printing and all this stuff about the book publishing world, I know absolutely nothing about, but apparently pre-orders have a lot to do with it. So it is one small and easy way that you can help this information reach more people. And the more people, the more people that this information reaches, the better the world is for our kids. Like the less advocating and educating we have to do because my book is doing it or because my book is landing in the hands of people who kind of join in the effort of doing the advocating and the educating. So in the long run, my hope is that that lightens your load. So you can just parent instead of educate others and advocate for your kids. So that's at robingobel.com slash book. As always, thank you. Thank you, thank you for just everything you do, for hitting play, for learning about the neuroscience of behavior, for for whatever reason that you're doing that. If you do that for yourself or you do that for a child in your life, just thank you so much for that. And even if you don't order the book, you are contributing significantly to changing the way the world sees people and changing the way the world sees behaviors and and shifting to this more compassionate and yes, boundaried way of being with behaviors and nothing but goodness will come from that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I will be back with you again next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief like, Yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. 
Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.